0: Before we get into our message time today, we want to have a time of prayer, and we want to remember those prayer requests that are in our church. Um, Spoke with Charlie Hayes last night after seeing him earlier this week, and he shared that uh, they are under quarantine at the Brookwood or Brookstone Meadows, so uh, that is mostly because of the flu, but... um, Marge can't go out and see Charlie anymore for the foreseeable future, so that's something they're dealing with at that facility. He says, though, that his hand is getting better, and uh, I think he's getting over the effects of that pain medication, so that's good news for him, and uh, he sounds better, so that's, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. He's getting back to his old self. Uh, Well, don't tell, someone will tell Charlie that I said that, so yeah, thanks a lot. Anyway, um, also we remember all of those who are traveling this week. I assume um, people will be getting away for spring break and lots of things going on. So we pray for people who are traveling. Some are flying out of the country. Uh, Some are uh, making road trips. So we pray for all of those that are out and about as well. With those items, as well as our own hurts and hopes, we offer our morning prayer today. We come before you today, O oh God, to give you praise. We realize in just some small way how magnificent you are, how wonderful you are, how large you are, how, how much you take care of in our life. We look at the stars and we begin to get a glimpse of the universe that is out there and uh, the expanse of that universe. And we are so thankful for you that you have made everything that we know and even the things that we don't know yet. We are grateful as well, God, that you have made each one of us, that you took the time and went to the detail to make our bodies as wonderful and creative and intricate as they are that you made uh, the smallest bits of life and matter that we know of and uh, still are God of all of that as well. So you deserve our praise more than anything else. So we lift up your name, we praise you and give our very lives to you in celebration of who you are and what you've done for us. We are indeed thankful, oh God, for your presence in our life, for your interaction with us, and for giving us the gifts that you give us so freely each and every day. We are thankful for your loving care and your attention to us, and we pray that we can return that attention to you as we make you, put you in first place in our life. We have many, many thoughts and concerns that are on our minds, oh God, and we lift those up to you this day. We are concerned about this virus that is now spreading throughout our land. We are concerned by the reports that we hear, and we are trying to be safe in how we interact with others. But we pray, God, that we would remember that you are in control of all of this, that you. Um, that there are many, many more people who die of other serious illnesses than this virus, and that we are just dealing with the unknown, and we need to come to grips with the unknown. And you already know the unknown. So we pray that we would put our our hope and our faith in you, and that we would be smart, but look to you as the author of, of life and death and everything in between. We pray for those who are affected by this virus, uh, that you would be with them and give them strength and courage. We pray that you'd be with the medical teams and the staff that are working with patients and trying to come up with a vaccine and treatments for this virus. We pray for many, many people throughout the world who deal with individuals who are ill and in need of love and support. We pray for people who don't have adequate food or water or shelter or drinking uh, or uh, medicines and pray that we would do what we can to help bring relief to those in need. We pray, God, for our missionaries who are working throughout the world and for, for the work that you give them to do. We pray that you'd bless them and empower them, give them the right words to say and the right things to do to help share that gospel message of Jesus Christ so that people who have never heard the message before can hear it anew and be convinced and, uh, that Jesus is their Savior and their Lord. We pray, God, for those on our prayer list at church here at First Baptist We pray for those who are ill and and recovering from illness. We pray, God, for those who are battling more serious illness and uh, trying to recover from that. And we pray for medical treatments and, and medical visits that are going on now. We pray, God, for those who mourn this day and pray that you'd be with them as well. We pray for those in our midst that are traveling this day and in the days ahead, that you would keep them safe, that you would put a hedge of protection around them to help them travel safely and then return home safely as well. And God, we pray for the mission and ministry of this church. We pray that as your faithful people here, you would continue to share your vision with us and help us see how we can reach out into the community and be bearers of your light in this world. We know that there are very very many dark places in our land and in in our city, and people that are looking for the light. And we pray, God, that we could be your beacon of light in this part of town and throughout Omaha and the world, actually, to help share the light of Jesus Christ and let people know of his love and uh, your love for us. Now we pray your blessing on our time of worship. And it's in the name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Amen. Our scripture today is found in John chapter 3. Basically the first half of that chapter. So John chapter 3 verses 1 to 21. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not, you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world... "'Light has come into the world, "'but men loved darkness instead of light "'because their deeds were evil. "'Everyone who does evil hates the light "'and will not come into the light "'for fear that his deeds will be exposed. "'But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light "'so that that it may be seen plainly "'that what he has done has been done through God.'" To get our thoughts focused a little bit this morning, I have a question for you. I wonder if you've ever been attracted to a public figure. I'm guessing you have. Maybe it was an athlete or even a presidential candidate. You liked that person well enough to read up on them and to follow that person in the news. You learned about that person and felt like you knew that person pretty well, at least publicly. Maybe you even went to see that person at an event, and you watched that person with great interest. You made sure that you could hear what he or she was saying, and even leaned in a little bit to catch everything that that person said. Whatever you want to call it, it's more than casual interest. And it's not hero worship or something creepy that we sometimes uh, get into these days or or jump to the conclusion of. What I'm talking about is a genuine interest for a person that you find fascinated and are attracted to. Well, I imagine that's roughly the same interest that Nicodemus has in Jesus in this story for this morning. And here we read of his account of coming to visit Jesus. If you've been in the church before, or very much at all, you have probably heard the story of Nicodemus before. It's a story that we regularly hear in the life of the church, and it's one of my favorite stories, actually. And if you've studied much in John's gospel, you might remember that this gospel writer uses irony in his writing. He quills the stories where the blind man uh, can see who Jesus is, but the religious leaders who are sighted are the ones who are blind to the nature of Jesus. So in John's gospel, there's a lot of ironic language, and that's certainly true in this story as well. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the light of the world, we say, with questions, but he comes under the cover of night, which symbolizes his ignorance. Nicodemus confesses that the religious leaders see Jesus as a great teacher because he can perform signs. Yet they can't see Jesus as God's own son. Nicodemus also gets caught on the proverbial fence when Jesus says that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless she is born again. That Greek word, ganathe anathen, or that phrase, has two meanings. One, to be born a second time, and two, to be born from above. And poor Nicodemus is fixated on that, on a second birth by water. So he can't even open his mind to consider a rebirth by the Spirit as an alternative. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a ruler or leader of the Jews, and he comes to visit Jesus after sundown. Everyone should be in their homes by then, we would gather, and getting ready for the next day, or per- at least preparing for bed. But here is this religious leader wanting an audience with Jesus at a time when no one will see him out and about. At best, G- Nicodemus isn't fully ready to align himself. With this Jesus. He's got questions and concerns about this man. But he sure is intrigued by Jesus and he's interested enough to consider being a follower of him. I mean, Jesus performs signs and wonders, and not just everyone can do those things. But at the worst, Nicodemus just can't understand what Jesus is saying about this new life in the Spirit. He is clinging to his old form of what religion and faith is all about. He just can't see any other way to faith except by claim or achievement or some proof of signs. So he isn't ready for the light at all. And that might explain why he's sneaking around in the dark. So what do we do with this man Nicodemus is a curious character in a story that is out of the ordinary. Well, Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story that might help us understand this questioning religious leader. And it's a story of a woman who set out to discover the meaning of life. First, she read everything that she could get her hands on, the history of the world, various world philosophies and philosoph or psychologies of both East and West. All of her studies made her a very smart woman, but nothing she read gave her the answer to her question about the meaning of life. So she turned to the smartest and wisest people she could consult with, and she asked them for help. Their discussions were mostly long and lively, but in the end, there was still no agreement to answer her question. Finally, the woman put all of her things in storage and set off in search for the meaning of life. She went to Europe, South America, Africa, Asia, and finally to India. Everywhere she went, people told her that they didn't know the meaning of life, but they had heard of a man who did. They just weren't sure where this man lived. Well, the woman kept asking about this man and searching for him until finally, deep in the Himalayas, someone pointed to the top of a nearby mountain and told her that the man lived in a small hut there just below the timber line. So she climbed and climbed until she found that little hut. With knuckles white and stiff from the cold, the woman knocked on the door, and a kind Kind-looking older man answered the door saying, yes? The woman thought she'd break down and cry right there when she saw that man. And she felt a sense of joy come over her at finally reaching the man who could answer her question. With her head still a little light from the altitude, she said, I've come from halfway around the world to ask you but one question. What is the meaning of life? The old man turned around from the door and said over his shoulder, come on in and we'll have some tea. No, she shouted. I I mean, no, thank you. I didn't come all this way for tea. I came for an answer to my question. Won't you please tell me if you have the answer to the meaning of life? We shall have some tea, said the man. So she gave up and joined him inside. While he was preparing the tea, she caught her breath and warmed up a little bit and began to tell the man about all the books that she had read and all the travels she had taken and all the people she had talked to. The old man just listened to her without interrupting. And this was wise because the woman didn't leave much space for him to speak anyway. As she talked on and on, the man placed a fragile teacup in her lap and began to pour the tea. She was so busy talking that she didn't notice when the teacup was full. And the old man kept pouring tea into the cup until it overflowed and spilled onto her lap and onto the floor like a kind of steaming waterfall. What are you doing, she screamed when the hot tea burned her. It's full, can't you tell? Stop, there's no more room. Just so, the man answered. You come here wanting something from me, but what am I to do? There is no room in your cup. Come back when it's empty, and then we'll talk." Well, just like this woman in the story, Nicodemus seems to have a full cup also. By Jewish standards, Nicodemus had it all. He was physically born into the faith, so he had the right claim to God. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, so he had achievements. He was a man of faith who was steeped in the tradition of his fathers. He has the right pedigree. He was learned and devoted as he had risen into the, in the ranks of his faith. So he was full to the brim, so to speak. He even had answers to his own question of eternal life. He knew the Hebrew Scriptures that speak of a new heart and a new spirit for the people of God. But still Nicodemus couldn't empty himself of all that stuff in order to humbly receive a simple new birth from Jesus as his way to salvation. As Jesus said, the problem for Nicodemus was that he was stuck trying to understand earthly things. And Jesus couldn't get past that point with his visitor so that they could talk about more heavenly things. To put it another way, we might say that there was something stirring in Nicodemus. It was something strong and compelling enough to draw him out in the dark to visit Jesus. And to put it in terms of our Lenten study, we might say that there is a mustard seed of belief in him that is wanting to sprout and to grow. In mustard seed terms, Nicodemus needs to let that seed of belief die in order for it to sprout and so that Nicodemus might truly live. Then he could more understand those heavenly things that Jesus is talking about. But while Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus, he must be pretty comfortable where he is. He has his seed of faith right where he wants it. It's planted, but it's in his own controlled environment. The conditions for growth, or rather for his control, the right soil and nutrients, water and sunlight, are just the way that Nicodemus wants them. And those conditions are just like they were for his forefathers. So from this scene, we might wonder if he will ever give up control and let his seed actually die so that it might be transformed and live again in him. Jesus says for that to happen for Nicodemus he has and for him to see the kingdom of God he must be born again. It doesn't make much sense from a human point of view, but that's the nature of the kingdom of God and mustard seed faith. Well, Nicodemus may be in control of his seed of faith, but it's still stirring in him and causing him to struggle. There's a curiosity with him, a questioning, and an interest. And maybe that's where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never fully committed yourself to Jesus and given yourself over to Jesus. It's felt good to be in control of your life and your destiny. But you have to admit that sometimes it is difficult for you to handle all by yourself. It's harder than you thought it would be. It takes a lot of effort and it's really tiresome. Maybe you've even been a committed follower of Jesus for a while, but somewhere along the way you decided to switch places with Jesus in in the car so that you're in the driver's seat and you can be in control again. Things weren't going the way you liked and you decided that you'd make more of your own decisions. But now you realize you really do need Jesus and you need him to be in the driver's seat in life things were actually better for you when he was leading and not the other way around well if any of those situations apply to you or if you have a sense that you're not growing in your faith the way God would like you to then you can give over control of your life to Jesus you can give over that seed of faith in your life so that it's in the sunlight of Jesus Jesus will warm that seed and cause it to sprout and to grow. That's what Nicodemus needs to do, to place his now dormant seed of faith in the sunlight, the S-O-N light. Just as we all do, Nicodemus needs to trust that stirring within him. He needs to nurture it, feed it, and give it plenty of sunlight. Then, in the right conditions, that seed will sprout, roots, and grow deep. That seed will break out of its crusty soil, and soon a shoot will unfold in the light of day. In a rare epilogue to this story after Jesus' trial and death in John chapter 19, we read about two men who come to prepare Jesus' body for burial. One man is Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus, it said, The other man is Nicodemus, who is identified as the man who came to visit Jesus at night. So we still don't really have a clear answer about Nicodemus' decision. The text isn't that explicit. But because he's at the scene and helping Joseph, I like to think that he made that decision. I like to think that he moved into the sunlight of Jesus and made a commitment to him. He came out of the darkness into the full sunlight of Jesus so that his seed of faith could at least sprout and begin to grow, and he could experience new life out of the old. The offer made to Nicodemus is still available to you today. Will you accept Jesus' offer and be reborn of the Spirit? Will you take advantage of the sunlight of Jesus to warm that seed of faith that is in your life so that it can grow?